We will be starting a study in First Peter next week. So, all right. Just wanting you to know that. I know you kind of heard about it, and you're wondering if that's really true. And it is. We will be starting that next Lord's Day. Well, I wish you a Happy New Year. Uh, it's always exciting. I love... Um, love turning pages. I'm one of those, some people don't love change. I'm one of those ones actually that I, I welcome it. I, I enjoy change. Uh, and uh, I suppose in some things, uh, some of you know that I eat Cold Stone uh, Creamery. Uh, that's my that's my go-to. Uh, a cookie dough uh, ice cream as my go-to. So you might be questioning if I really enjoy change. Um, but I do, actually. It's exciting to kind of look out and to see and to wonder what it is that the Lord is going to do uh, through His church and His, you know, that happens from His Word in the hearts of people who just, for no reason except that the Lord has opened eyes and made you to see and your knees are just bowed and you're just looking to Him and it's exciting to see what kind of Changes will take place this coming up year. Now, we like to take time each year to remind ourselves of important truth vital to the new year. And this year, I wanted to just preach Christ. You say, shouldn't you want to do that every year at all the time? Yes. But in a very singular way, I, I really did. I'll tell you the reason why. What do we what do we need this year? Not politics, not education, that's not the answer, not social media, not a new governor or a new president. We need Christ. We need Christ. And whether we're talking about your marriage or your parenting or whether we're talking about the relationships that you have with others around you, we need Christ. Maybe even if you think about how, what kind of a, you know, employee you are and how it is for you when you go to work, we need Christ. We need to be the support and pillar of the living God who sent the living Son to be the living Word so we could live true life. See? So we could live eternal life. Now, let me help you understand how I got to where I did this morning. Uh, because this really started actually a couple years ago. Um, I wrote down, oftentimes I'll have a thought and as I'm reading through maybe my daily uh, devotions or from reading in a book. And I just kind of scribbled out some words um, in, you know, to myself to say, hey, I want to study that sometime. And this was a couple years ago. And and I looked at my, and I always see it on the calendar in terms of you know looking out to the future. Hey, preach this. Well, this is that time. Uh, We finally kind of come to that place. In fact, um, two words struck me as I was preparing actually a few months ago. And I want to share them with you. Turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 32, so that you can see this for yourself. Now, these are two blind men who are literally screaming at Jesus. They wanted, they want to be healed. Jesus here is on the move and he's going through Jericho and it says this there in Matthew 20 verse 32, and Jesus stopped. And then if you go to Mark 5 verse 30 again, Jesus is on the move. And you don't have to necessarily turn there, but listen, he's on the move. And this time, because a guy named Jairus wants him to go to his house and heal his daughter, and on the way this happened, verse 30, immediately Jesus perceived something, and it caused him to stop. He just stopped. A woman touched his cloak and got healed, and Jesus stopped. In fact, it says precisely when that happened. Exactly when that happened. He was moving, 
But this woman made him stop. Listen, two times the Bible tells us Jesus stopped. It makes a point of telling us that. And the point is, those two texts take the time to tell us that Jesus stopped his movement. Here is the Son of God, and this is kind of where my thinking was and where I was led, and I really want to take you into the journey that I had, and maybe you're going to see the, the stuff that was you know, at the end of it. And inside it that I saw, and I hope you do, and you come away with your eyes lifted up like mine were. But here is the Son of God, full of purpose, all-knowing, never confused, never lacking for direction, never without a plan. Not living by our plans, but always moving at His own pace. And we, we know that. I remember when they came and they said to Jesus, Hey, you know your friend Lazarus? He is dying, and if you need to get there, you need to come quickly. And it says he waited extra time. Listen, he is always on his own plan, calendar. His movements are all his own. Nobody makes him do anything. He has his own pace. But here he stops. In fact... If we take these texts as they say, he's made to stop. It's what it looks like. Listen, beloved, as I was, again, just gathering my thoughts about this and thinking to myself, this is incredible. This is incredible. I mean, it it was so beyond the disciples' minds. And one of the texts In Mark 5, where it speaks of the woman, Jesus said, somebody touched me, and the the disciples said, hey, listen, there's all kinds of people touching you. What are you talking about? Why are you stopping, in other words? Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal. It's a big deal to him. Beloved, we get so busy... I mean, we oftentimes have convinced ourselves that it's us. We're the ones that need to stop, right? We've convinced ourselves we need vacations and extra time away and just to go get, get away, and recharge and all that kind of stuff. And I suppose, I mean, you need, you need to kind of know your, your threshold. And what I want us to understand is that this is actually just what we need heading into 2023, that it is not that we need to stop. We need Jesus to stop, to give us what we can't get for ourselves. That's what I'm hoping that you get from this. We need for our Lord Jesus to have a reason to stop where we are at Jesus stopped. One of the things I love when studying our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels is all the movements in his life that just seem to be normal, you know, run-of-the-mill activity. You know? that turns into something that no one saw coming. You know, remember? Jesus was on his way north and he goes through Samaria And the normal route is around Samaria for a true Jew. And he goes through and then he stops to rest. Why does he stop to rest? We're told because he's hungry and thirsty. I mean, can the Son of God get hungry and thirsty? Is that okay? Can he do that? Yeah, that shows us... There's true humanity going on here, right? And so he sends the disciples in the town and he plops himself right next to this well and it's actually Jacob's well. When he intersects at the very moment, coincidentally, with a woman 
divorced five times and now living with some guy, not her husband, and she comes around and they have this conversation. See, Study the movements of our Lord that you might just come to understand nothing happens willy-nilly or coincidentally or happenstance. We could point out many, many times that Jesus did that. I mean, he intersected regular life. And I want you to know something. He still does. He still does. Sometimes I think that we need to learn the lesson of Elijah. We are expecting some like wow moment in our relationship with the Lord, living life that way. Elijah, I remember, was, the Lord said he was going to speak to him, and so he was looking for something grandiose, and what he got was the small, tiny little you know, wind, tiny. And then he fell to his face realizing, oh, the Lord, this is the Lord, he's here. Yeah, that's right. He intersects his life in what seems to be the smallest way, but is exactly what he needed at the time and at the moment. And you know, here, some of the lessons I mean, we learn, that we see from Jesus as we study, as we're going to study this, these two uh, healing, miracle healings, is that uh, he does it, I think, to demonstrate a few things. He, he does it, I think, to demonstrate that he's accessible. That's one thing. He does it also, he did it to show that he is available. Boy, do we need to learn that, right? He, he, he did it to help us see that he is, another thing, you could add a third thing, he's interruptible. What a lesson for us. Never too busy that he cannot be stopped by our life. See? Such a huge point, and I believe we need to know this about him, and we get that lesson in two ways this morning from two passages. Now let me first read them to you, and then we'll understand the basic story. And then, finally, I want to pull out five lessons on what made Jesus stop. So turn to the Gospel of Mark, and I want to start actually there in chapter 5. The Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Let me read first from verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? Huh. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. That's story number one. Look at story number 2. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and 
as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he had heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now, um, we are going to look at both of these. They're very straightforward healing miracles. So let's let's see if we can understand what the story is here, and then let's see what we can pull away in terms of lessons. Now, what's the story? Let's start with the healing of the hemorrhaging woman. Now, if there's one thing Mark 5 illustrates, it is the effects of the depravity of sin. In fact, it's all throughout Mark's gospel, but especially Mark chapter 5. We can see it because the very beginning in verses 1 through 20, we see the impact in the unseen world with the demons. And then with this woman, we see it in the seen world as this woman, this poor woman is suffering from a blood hemorrhage. All of this tells us about the depravity of sin, Adam's sin, mankind was impacted by that, mankind was corrupted by that. Nothing really shows that more than the cold and sad reality of physical harm and defect from disease. John MacArthur makes that connection perfectly clear when he says this, Sin has released a deadly, pervasive force into the world that infects and affects every human being. We would go so far as to say it literally dominates every human being to the degree that every human being is, in fact, a slave of sin. Its force is so corrupting that it pollutes every faculty of man and every thought of man and every word of man and every act of man, the force of that corruption spirals down even in the life of man, careening man into sickness, into sorrow, into suffering, into death, and finally into everlasting hell. And all the way along are the, are the accompanying griefs and sorrows, end quote. Yes, that is how bad sin is. It has impact and effect in every conceivable direction. It destroys the mind. It destroys the feelings. It affects at that level. It destroys marriages. It destroys parenting. It destroys relationships. Now when Jesus healed... Understand something. It did two things that tied him back to one main central and crucial truth. It displayed two things. First, it displayed his power. Secondly, it displayed his pity. It displayed them in the most profound way. And unlike any other human And the display of the power and pity of Jesus make it unmistakably clear that this is none other than God in the flesh. The power came with the pity. That's what we were to see. He wasn't 
after just displaying strength over demons and disease, but sorrow over suffering too. And he still does. Now let me show you one other thing as we get into the story in Mark 5. As I mentioned, notice in verses 1 through 20, Jesus healed a demon-possessed guy in a region called the Gerasenes. But notice after he did this, verse 17, look at it there for yourselves. The people there began to implore him to leave. Now imagine that. He shows great power. He shows amazing pity for this poor person who had been suffering at the hands of these demons. And their response is, go away. We don't want this. And then you get to verses 21 to 24, and Jesus goes to another area, and the people gather, and they want Jesus to stay. Isn't that interesting? Listen, that's how it is with the gospel. And you and I sometimes can't make any sense of that. We don't understand Why is it that the gospel goes out and some say, hey, get away, get that out of here. We don't want that. No room in the end for you. And then others, for no reason, say, stay. Keep talking. We need to hear more. We want more. I remember uh, as the Lord had just saved me and I was looking for church, to, uh, I, I just knew I needed to be in a church that, where the word was taught. And I remember going to this one particular church and I couldn't make it in the morning, so I came because I was working and I came into the evening and and the word was being taught and I just was, my, my jaw was it's dropped on the inside of my heart and And I remember thinking when he said amen, like, no, 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 no. Keep talking. Keep preaching. You have the words of eternal life. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go anywhere. Just please keep going. But not everybody there was like that. And I couldn't have explained to you why. Why was I, I, I at the place? Did I have something traumatic going on in my life at the time? No. Was there something, maybe there was a crisis I was going through? No. No. No, can't explain it. But I wanted it. And I wanted him. Some some for no reason reject, others for no reason follow. And verse 24, press in on Jesus. What's that tell us? There's all kinds in the crowd. There are those that want nothing to do with Jesus. They want him to go away. And there are others that want him on their own terms. And there are those who truly want Jesus Christ. And so by faith, they turn away from their own life to receive him as their life for salvation. Jesus is just moving through this crowd when a synagogue official named Jairus comes to him and says, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you come to her at my house? Jesus says, take me to her. He's on the move here. Pick it up in verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years interrupts the travel. So many of us have a hard time having our plans interrupted. I mean, you know, when people interrupt your path, right? But not our Lord. He was okay. Here's this lady, by the way, and and she has a, a very serious need. And she's been like this, what's it say, for 12 years. Now, by the way, we don't know, uh, She's, she's bleeding out from something for 12 years. This has been happening. We don't know what it, what it is. We don't know where it came from. It doesn't say that. 12 years. Think about that for a moment. Think about what normal life is like for women. I mean, she would have been 
probably married young. Back back then, that's what they did. Um, She probably had a family, and at some point, she has this hemorrhaging issue. And maybe in the beginning, she thinks to herself, it'll just go away. It doesn't. And at some point, it becomes a hemorrhaging issue. And she's desperate, and her family is desperate. And the Old Testament says that a person bleeding out like that would be considered unclean. And anyone she touches becomes unclean. And that means that you cannot be involved in the normal life of the nation. Your social life is absolutely destroyed. No temple visits. A life for her of separation constantly, even from your family. Twelve years like that. You say, did they try to do something about that? Sure, look at verse 26. They went to the doctor. That's what we do, right? In fact, it says many doctors, lots of them. <laughs> By the way, we have way better, you know, our doctors today, this is a, we should be so thankful, right? Be thankful for your doctors, by the way, right? But you know, not now, not this age. Whoa. So she, uh, she went to a lot of these people but got no help and she's getting worse with no clue just how bad it is. And you have to think that she's thinking time's running out. I don't know about you, but I like to keep all of my blood in my body, Okay. Time's running out. Probably this poor woman is getting weaker by the month, by the day. Can you just imagine having a a sickness that no doctor can help you with and all you get is social distance? That's what this is. By the way, her social distance... It was 12 years. You look at what social distance did to our country for just a couple years. The crime and how people just went nuts. 12. So verse 27, she hears that Jesus is coming. He's here. Does Does she know anything about Jesus? Sure. News about him is everywhere in the north. And, and, you know, he preaches the truth and he heals people. And verse 27 tells us she got right into the crowd. Now, she probably had to stay very low. Can't be noticed. She's probably trying really hard not to touch anyone. She's not supposed to be there, see. And she goes right behind Jesus and touches his garment, probably a tassel. You ever wonder why she did that? Why did she just why touch the cloak? Is this a lady that believes in superstition? No. I don't believe that at all. This is a lady who understands that anyone she touches, becomes unclean. So this is really risk for everyone. She does the thing. She's outcasted this way. She does the thing that she only knows to do. And that is find a way to just touch his garment and then he'll just know. Some people might have thought, you know, Maybe she was thinking here, if others realized that that this was going on, they they would probably kick her out and and really shame her for doing that. So many would think to themselves, what is this? I mean, what are you doing, lady? I mean, what an irresponsible act, putting all these people in danger to get whatever it is that you have. So really, she risks it all. But again, why touch the garment? I mean, is there really power in that cloak? Is it like the Catholics have thought for many, many years that, you know, here's the relic. If you just touch it, you know, you'll get healed or whatever. Or just put this oil on you and just watch the magic happen. This thing has been blessed by 
saint whoever and this apostle and it's come down through the years or whatever. No. No, that's, that's not where she was at. She knows that Jesus, that Jesus would know. I mean, he's made it clear that he is powerful and knows all things. And so she does it. She goes and touches the cloak. Notice too, Mark tells us what her thinking was. Verse 28, if I just touch his garments, I will be saved from this. You hear that word? I'll be made whole. I'll be delivered. I'll be saved. Again, I don't believe this is superstition. I don't think she was thinking that at all. In fact, the word touch can mean cling. Why do it? It's a statement, I believe, of her confidence, of faith. She truly believes Jesus will heal her. She believes that. She touches the cloak and not his skin, which is really something. She's kind that way not wanting Jesus to be compromised in any way. And she truly believes that Jesus will understand that and then would just heal her. Listen, that's faith, beloved. And then notice what happens, verse 29, immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she knew within her body that she had been healed of her affliction. Immediately it happened. Immediately she knew, it says. Not a process, instantly. That's how Jesus healed people. That's what she came for. But I want you to see something else. She came for more. She wants more than a physical healing. She came to Jesus for spiritual healing, for salvation. And that is clear. He say, how do we know that? Verse 28, I will be saved. Verse 34, Jesus says, daughter, in a response to her, she says to herself, I'll be saved. Jesus responds to her thought, yep, daughter, your faith has saved you. Yep. She didn't come for just a physical healing. I understand something, by the way, not everyone that Jesus heals is saved. It doesn't always connect healing with faith. But every time it does, you're talking about a person who has come for the spiritual healing. Always. All who come by faith get saved. See, And that's her. So how does Jesus respond to her um, touching his robe? Look at verse 30. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself the power proceeded from him, is proceeding from him, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and, and, and was saying, Who touched my garments? Now there's a lot here that we could talk about, so I want to make this just simple. Let me point out a few things. First, it says immediately. Her touch triggered an immediate response. It stopped Jesus. He was moving, then he stopped. But secondly, it was something, it says Jesus perceived, he felt it. What did Jesus feel? Power being released. Power being used to heal. It's like saying, I felt compassion go out of my body. I I felt pity turn into power instantly. And then it says that Jesus asked, who touched me? That's a big deal, not for the reasons you might think. You say, I thought Jesus was all-knowing. Doesn't he know all things? He does. I mean, say, didn't he didn't he know she touched him? He did. So when he asked this, this question, now listen, it wasn't to investigate. It wasn't to start an investigation. It wasn't to learn new information. He said, well, why ask it then? 
it was to show compassion. And I'm going to show you that. Now let's think about this here. She comes in secretly, right? She is, she is a public outcast. She is unclean. And how will anyone know that she is now clean? You're going to have to take her word for this, right? Jesus calls attention to her so that he could do the thing that no priest could really do. And that is pronounce her publicly clean. The reason Jesus calls attention to his power going out in this woman is so that everyone around can see that she truly has been healed and is now clean. See? Listen. She actually needed this. She needed the public affirmation of this so that when she went to the priest, it would be clear. Jesus helped her. This incredible compassion. He is showing everyone also, hey, this is personal to me. Power personally connected from me to another person. And I want to acknowledge that. But she needs more. What he is doing here then, and I, by calling her out like this, I mean, What he is doing is basically telling us, I know my own and I want my own to know me. What he is doing is going past the physical healing. If physical healing is all he's after, you know, just getting people physically right, then he doesn't need to call attention to her. But she needs more. That's why he does this. This is the Son of Man seeking to save the lost doesn't let her go until she has spiritual healing, until she has sins forgiven. And she might have grabbed his robe, but at this point in time, he's grabbing her heart and not letting her go. He said, are you sure of all this? Look at verse 32. And he was looking around to see the woman who had done this. Jesus searched... Luke 19, it does not have to say, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Listen, he knows where the lost are. Why do any seeking at all? Because Jesus is no hyper-Calvinist. He goes and seeks to demonstrate his love. To demonstrate that he really cares for Sinners for the lost. He looked for her. And he does that for all that he has come to save. See, Verse 33, But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware that of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Oh, do you have something to say? I do. He said, oh, this would be so good. What did she say? We don't know. We don't know. That was, that, that was just a conversation for her and him in front of everybody. And Mark and the other gospel writers felt they didn't need to tell us what it was, all that it was. Listen, she has great fear. She's trembling, and this is just incredible. But I want you to understand, this is not a fear of embarrassment. This is a godly fear of a sinner in the presence of the holy. 
He's more than just a miracle worker on the physical body. That's what this sphere is all about. Notice also she fell down. That's worship. Notice another thing. She told him the whole truth. That's confession. These are the marks of a person who is spiritually healed. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. God revealed himself to Isaiah. He fell down and he covered his mouth. Jesus revealed himself to Peter and he said, Depart from me, a sinful man. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. That's what spiritual healing looks like. Jesus does something for her by calling her out so that she can be restored publicly. And as a result, she confesses publicly in front of everyone. I love it. You say, did she really become born again, though? Verse 34, what did Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has saved you. She's a daughter now, a daughter of God. And then this, go in peace. Notice that it says that connected to her healing, because right after saying, go in peace, Jesus says, and be healed of your affliction. Now, that word for affliction means a thing that is pressed down on you, and it is usually a reference to overwhelming pressure, even physical persecution. And I believe that word has to do with the internal healing from having her sins forgiven. Go and live a spiritually peaceful life. How does a person live a spiritually peaceful life away from sin? According to God's way, the the way of Scripture, obeying God. Listen, following the Prince of Peace. Jesus is calling for her to follow him. So that's her story. What about the what about the blind men? Turn to Mark chapter ten. The two blind men. Verse forty six. Now as we get to this here, I want to make a point from Matthew's gospel uh, that I think is going to be helpful for you. As we look at this true story in Matthew's gospel, there are two blind men. In Mark's gospel, there's only one man, verse 46, and his name is Bartimaeus, okay? You see, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, why do we need to know this? Oftentimes, we don't know the names of people that Jesus heals. But most commentators and scholars believe when you do see a name, it's because it's a person that historically exists in the present, They're in the church. Mark's, by the way, the only one that names him. So that tells us he's probably living in the area of the people that Mark is writing this to. This same story, by the way, is in Luke's gospel. And again, only Mark names him. Why? Again, for this personal touch. And that means that the other guy, the blind guy that was given sight is either dead or maybe he never became a believer. But Mark gives the specifics on this guy's name because he's a regular believer in the church. And maybe as they were hearing this, the gospel as it's being read, Bart is somewhere over there smiling, you know, kind of going, yeah, that's, that was me. That was me. So this is Bart's story. He was one of the guys, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He was one of the, probably one of the 500 that were there following Christ and saw his resurrection. All right, here we go. Verse 46, Bart's story. Then they came to Jericho. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's weeks away. Now, listen. He's already stopped at Zacchaeus' house. That's happened. Zacchaeus was there in Jericho. You remember that? He's already stopped at his house. 
Luke 19.10, he's, you know, he made it clear that he's come to seek and save the lost. And not only that, Jesus has already visited a place called Bethany, very near here where he raised Lazarus. That's happened. Now he's leaving Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. That's what blind men did, okay? They need to get stuff from people. That's how they got helped. Sat by the road hoping others would show pity on them and give them money. It's not like they could get jobs, okay? So Bart knew all about Jesus healing people. And so him and his blind friend, when they heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, they began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out. Literally, the Greek word here is krotso. And krotso means literally to scream. To scream so as to get attention for the desperation that you're in. A desperate scream. Notice too that he called him son of David. That's the messianic title. He's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Have mercy on me. Now, Right away we see something beyond the normal. How did they come to the place where they believed that Jesus is the Messiah? I mean, they're blind. They didn't read about it. Where did they get this from? Was it because they saw anything? Listen, this tells me that these guys not only knew stuff, they believed stuff. What did they believe? Isaiah 29, verse 18. On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. I believe that was quoted in Luke 4 as well by Jesus himself. And he said, these words are in your presence right here now, fulfilled. These blind men knew probably Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind will be opened. By whom? The Messiah. And by the way, he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene. You remember I mentioned to you recently that word Nazarene is like a swear word. Some said it with contempt. But Bart here sees it this way. The son of David, who has humbled himself to come to us, to bring salvation, to open the eyes of our hearts, to heal in all ways, he's come, he's here. Now at this point, the crowd's getting a little uneasy. You know how I know that? Look at what it says. I mean, hey, Bart, you're making a scene. I mean, you're embarrassing the people of Jericho. I mean, we want to make a good impression on Jesus so that maybe he comes back and heals more people. Or maybe, you know, he'll, he'll remember Jericho when he's getting rid of the oppression, you know, of the Romans against us. So, Bart, shh. Right? Be quiet. Come on. In fact, it says they sternly did this. So they're really getting all over this guy. Don't be so loud. Don't call attention to yourself. You're a blind beggar. If Jesus wants you, he'll call you out. Be quiet. Listen, beloved, I absolutely love this picture. Does Jesus seek to save the lost? Does he come to seek and save the lost? Yes. Can a person come to him without the drawing of the Holy Spirit? No. So all that is true. (laughs) You know, and yet Bart isn't too concerned about figuring out if he's elect or not. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. I mean, he just wants Jesus to come to him. 
That's how it should be. I mean, so many get tripped up. We preach Christ to blind sinners. It's like the the guy who heard Spurgeon say, you must be born again. And he was making this point. You must be born again. You must be born again. And he came to him after the sermon and he said, why do you keep repeating yourself? You keep saying you must be born again. I mean, I've heard you. I understood that. Why do you keep repeating yourself? And he looked at the guy and he said, because you must be born again. Not too concerned about election. Not too concerned about any of that stuff. You must be born again. The Lord's got the election all taken care of. That's His deal. We preach Christ to blind sinners. It's the work of the Lord to move on that heart. And if they cry out for Him, that's good. Notice the impact the crowd has on Bart. He, he, but he kept crying out all the more. It's almost as though he didn't even hear the crowd. Whatever. That was his, he gave him one of those. You know the kids, they do this. Right? He gave him one of those. Whatever. I don't even, it doesn't matter to me. I, I have no idea what you are trying to tell me, crowd. You know, it's, it's sad when a crowd of people are the anti-evangelists, right? There's a lot of pressure not to believe. And there's a whole crowd, I'll tell you, beloved, that doesn't want us to go to Jesus. There's a whole crowd that they don't want us crying out to Him. That's the history of mankind. Sternly telling us, be quiet. True salvation pushes past the crowd. And if you want an understanding of that, read Mark 8, 34 through 38, where Jesus clearly says, you and I, when we sense the conviction, are to be unashamed and to cry out. Now we come to the crux. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped. Everyone's following him. Just a big moving crowd all of a sudden halt. I mean, who is it? I mean, probably an important religious figure, right? I mean, maybe a nobleman. No. Just blind begging Bart, you know? I mean, that's what's going on right now. Jesus said, call him here. So they called Bart and his friend, saying, take courage, get up. He is calling for you. What fantastic words. Do you, do you think the Lord Jesus calls for any whom he will not save? I love this. This is, there is an external call and there is an effectual call. This is the effectual call. I mean, the call that goes past the ears to the heart, right? And by the way, what do these blind men want? Mercy. Jesus is going to give them his mercy in all its forms. Notice Bart's response. In throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. What's that? Faith. An immediate response. Yes, Lord. And so verse 31, Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? Oh, this, listen, this is a blank check, as it looks like. But I'll tell you, Bart knows exactly what he wants. And it might surprise you. And the blind man said to him, Rabboni. It's a precious way of saying rabbi. It's a personal way of saying rabbi. My rabbi, my rabbi, my teacher. Sweet teacher. I want to regain my sight. I just want to see, that's all. Apparently he used to have sight. Sometime in his life he was 
he could see and then he went blind and not sure when. It doesn't say, but he's like the hemorrhaging woman. I mean, you, you, you thought that he, maybe at some point he thought life was great. Everything is happening just maybe like he wanted it. and It's going in one direction and, and then the blood or the darkness comes around and life just seems hopeless to you. So here comes hope. What I want you to see is what kind of sight this man came for, not just physical. Look at verse 32. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has, some of your versions say made you well, right? I want you to understand there are two Greek terms. Iaomi, excuse me, Iaomai. That is the word for to be healed. And there's another Greek term, sozo, which is the word to be saved. And it is the word so-so that's used here. Go, your faith has saved you. Same word, by the way, with the hemorrhaging woman. Your faith has saved you. You get spiritual sight too, Bart. Amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I what? See. It says that Bart began following him on the road and Matthew 20, it says that Jesus said, go your way. And they started following him. Their their way was Jesus' way. That's what saving faith looks like. Incredible. Jesus stopped in both places for both people. Now let's ask the question there in your notes as we work through this. What made Jesus stop? Five things to take away. And they go pretty quickly here as I sum it up. And these, by the way, beloved, are the same things that always make Jesus stop for any sinner. Point one, mercy. What did they both need? Mercy. You know what makes Jesus stop? Is his own mercy. It's his own mercy. He saw their need, they cried out for mercy, and they found it because he's full of mercy. It's the same thing like with Paul. Remember Paul, when talking about his own testimony, 1 Timothy 1.13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of. That's what happened to the woman and that's what happened to Bart. I mean, they believed that they were sinners. They didn't, you know, think, man, what a raw deal I've got. I don't deserve this to be blind and, and to, you know, have this hemorrhaging thing going on. Hey, Jesus, come on. Why don't you show some compassion? Did you say that? They were like Paul. They felt the weight of their sins and the greater suffering was thinking that they might die in blood apart from the salvation that Jesus offered. That he might die in a greater darkness apart from the mercy that Jesus himself had. So Jesus stops for mercy. He knows it's what we need. Beloved, until a person sees their need for his his mercy, he cannot be saved. That's what was so hard for the rich young ruler. I mean, he just never saw that he needed mercy. He never saw that. Never saw himself as a sinner, a hopeless sinner. He'd never cry out for mercy to Jesus. Never. Remember Luke 18? You got the two people, you got the uh, publican, and then you had the Pharisee. Two men. The Pharisee was proud and glad that he's not a low life like so many. That he's blessed because he has so much. That he has money and he has family and he's just living the dream. And then you had the other guy, a tax collector who just kept beating his breast and I'm miserable and I'm willing to lift up his eyes. And Jesus said, That's the guy that received mercy. 
Jesus' own mercy made him stop. He stopped before people that were crying out for mercy. Point number two. Second reason why he stopped. Love. For love. He stopped because of compassion. In Matthew 20 verse 34 it says, And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight. And then it says they followed him, of course. Right? I mean, who wouldn't want to follow, you know, living compassion, compassion incarnate? He stopped because of his love. Talking about the motive for why the Lord chose to make Israel his people. Listen to these words. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. In other words, he saved them and loved them because of his love, to show his love. He did it to display his love. He called the hemorrhaging woman, daughter, to make it clear that he loved her. In Israel, Jeremiah 31 verse 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have called you with loving kindness. I have drawn you with that loving kindness. What made Jesus stop? His own compassion. Point number three, a third thing, what made Jesus stop? Confession. Both made confessions about Jesus and about themselves. The woman told him, it says, the whole truth. In front of the whole crowd, the blind men cried out, not only for mercy, but confessed Jesus to be the Messiah. You see that? If you're asking for mercy, you don't believe that you deserve it, right? And so Jesus stopped because these people were willing to confess Him over them. They were ready to confess. They were poor in spirit people to confess that inside they had nothing. Nothing they can give to God. Nothing to boast about to men. Nothing to make much of life with. And so they were ready to confess Jesus Christ alone as the answer for their sins. This is Mark 8.34. This is Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. This is what repentance is. Confessing your sins, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Turning from one to follow the other. Right? Let me give you a fourth one. Faith. We see in both accounts faith. Did you notice that in both cases they add this? And in both cases it wasn't... I mean, in both cases, when we talk about faith, it was persistent faith. Mark 5.34, daughter, your faith has made you well, literally has saved you. Mark 10.52, go, your faith has saved you. What makes Jesus stop? Faith in Him. Trust. Placing the weight of your life on Him. The woman took the risk going low into the crowd. The blind man cried out. That is persistent faith. They tried to stop him, to shut him up. And he said, they said, no. But we must have Christ to follow him in that kind of persistence is to have faith. It is to take Jesus at His word. In other words, it is to believe the word of God that whatever it says, that is what we believe and that is what we follow. It is not the amount of faith, but the object of faith. Let me give you the last one here. Number five, let's call commitment. Commitment. What made Jesus stop? 
that woman got herself low, so low that she reached down to Jesus' tassel on his robe to touch it. Why so low? To not be seen. She didn't want to compromise anyone or the Lord himself to make them all unclean. So much work, by the way, to do that. And then Jesus tells her, go in peace. In other words, keep going and following me just like this. And she did, by the way. It says in Mark 20, verse 34, the men followed Jesus in Mark 10, 52, on the road. Jesus stopped for people like that. Remember, remember what Jesus told John and Andrew and John 1 when they wanted to follow him? They wanted to know where he was staying. Remember what he said? Come and you'll see. In other words, make the commitment to follow me and then you'll see what this life is all about. I love it. Amen, right? Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to that person, The foxes have holes and the birds of the nests of the air of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, you know what that guy was wanting? He was wanting assurances. He, was, he wanted a guarantee. Jesus said, no, I'm not giving you that. That's not how it works. Just follow me wherever I go, or don't follow me at all. That's how it works. These two people are just an incredible illustration to us of what makes Jesus stop. A commitment to follow him as a way of living, see. All right, what do we take away from all this? Well, how about you? Do you see those five approaches to Jesus Christ in your life? Jesus said in John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And here we see in these five points the way to come to him, right? It's another way, by the way, that's his promise to us, and that's another way of saying, I will stop for that person. I'll stop for that kind of person. And when he stops, John fourteen twenty three says, He will make his abode with us, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if that's you, He stops for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word, Lord. And we just want to uh, receive it, Lord. And we're just no better at all than these. In fact, help us to be like this hemorrhaging woman, just like Bartimaeus. We love you. Thank you, Father, for providing us so much. You don't have to stop. You didn't have to stop for them. You don't You don't have to stop for us, but you do out of your great kindness and love and mercy and compassion. Oh, that we would see you that way even today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.